Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup here on WSJU Radio. I'm Michael Zabo. We got a lot to get a lot to get to today, and I want to start off today. Today's an important anniversary for our American sports, and it is the the 41st anniversary of the Miracle on Ice game back in the 1980 Lake Placid Winter uh, Olympics. Um, we all know about the game, the USA taking down. Um, the Soviet Union way back when, a young up-and-coming USA team filled with a bunch of amateur players and college kids taking down some seasoned professionals who had played together with 10, 15 years. We've heard the stories over the years. Uh, if you haven't seen um, the movie Miracle on Ice with uh, Kurt Russell, I don't know what rock you're living under, um, but an absolutely great movie if you have not watched it. I don't care if you're not a hockey fan. If you're a sports fan, that's required viewing, and I would be shocked if you are someone who is s- somewhat connected to sports and has not watched that movie. So um, if not, then I just gave you something to do today. Um, but, yeah, 41st anniversary. Um, can't wait until um, we get to, like, the milestones of 45 and 50. We get past this virus, and we can have some really amazing ceremonies or something like that to honor um you know what a great accomplishment that was for uh, american sports for hockey if especially for hockey because at the time u.s hockey was just kind of all over the place the nhl was still kind of coming up um and you know that was just so huge for the nhl so huge for american hockey and just, I mean, that's just literally the greatest sports moment in history. I don't think you could come up with anything uh, better. Um, but yeah, just wanted to touch on that at the top of the show because I want to turn to something else in hockey that is a little less fun to talk about. And that is the story that came out with the New York Rangers this morning, uh, kind of overnight and into this morning with Artemi Panarin. Um, announcing the New York Rangers and Artemi Panarin announcing that he's briefly going to be stepping away from the team after a newspaper article um, came out in the Russian press um, accusing him of um, beating an 18-year-old woman back in 2011 when he was playing in Russia, although the timing of the article is very suspicious because... um, Panarin is a public supporter of Vladimir Putin's um, opponent in this year's Russian election. Um, so uh, the Rangers have come out with a statement this morning, um, vehemently denying any accusation against Panarin. Panarin, uh, I guess Panarin threw the Rangers statement saying that he vehemently denies the accusation that is made in the paper. Um, I w- it would definitely be, if anything were true, obviously, A, it's would be very vile um, that that happened way back when. And two, it's what we know of Artemi Panarin and his career just beyond, uh, before he even uh, became a New York Ranger, that would definitely be out of character of what he is. So that would be shocking in and of itself. But one, you, you really hope it's not true. And two, if this is all because of some political game i mean i don't think i have to get into the politics of um you know vladimir putin and all that kind of stuff i'll let you all listening you know form your opinions on that but um you know it's it's a dangerous uh situation panarin if this this is all in retaliation because of what panarin is saying which 
to me it, it's not a it's not a stretch it, it's very it's very coincidental timing that this article is coming out no less um, one of his former coaches who was a huge uh, Vladimir Putin supporter is heavily featured in the article um, one of his former coaches in Russia um, uh, uh, is heavily featured in that uh, Russian article so um, you know and Panarin still has grandparents that live in Russia um, so he has family there assumingly it seems like the quiet rumors are that um, he's stepping away from the team to deal with the situation and to try and get um, his family out of Russia um, you know for for fear of their safety or whatnot so a very serious situation there are things that are bigger than hockey despite whatever struggles that are on the on the ice with the Rangers Panarin you know he's got to let him take his time to step away and be able to deal with this personal stuff um, off the ice and I hope the Rangers are there to be able to deal with whatever sort of circumstances um, they need to in, in order to help him sort out this situation and and you know help his family out um, make sure obviously that the story isn't true and, and they, they stand they're standing by it that it's not true and I, I would I would think they would with their uh, trust their player that it isn't um, but you know they put they already put out the statement that it said that the accusation against Panarin is com is completely fabricated so I would think that the Rangers maybe did their due due diligence because you wouldn't make want to make a statement like that and then wind up a you know a couple days a couple weeks later that it would be true which I don't think it is by any stretch I mean like I said before it would be completely out of character for Artemi Panarin and what we do know of him um, but you know it's just whether it's true that tr it's true or not it's very coincident it's very coincidental timing um, from you know when you come uh, compare when the story came out to what uh, Panarin has been doing on social media advocating uh, publicly endorsing um, Putin's opponent um, in the Russian election this year um, so listen uh, uh, you know just to repeat what I just said you know I hope the Rangers just help out uh, help him sort out um, all of these issues and and hope his family will be safe uh, you know I mean that from the the deepest part of my heart it, it's very this is a concerning issue um, you know the, I a couple years ago the New York Knicks dealt with a similar issue when um, Enos, Con uh, Enos Cantor um, w was speaking out against the current Turkish government and he still had family there and the Knicks had to deal so the Knicks had to deal with a similar situation um, like this that the Rangers are now going to be dealing with Panarin um, hopefully everything gets um, uh, sorted out and that's all I'm, I'm gonna say on that it very a very unbelievably uh, uh, very unbelievable and tricky situation um, this is and it blew up on social media this morning so I want to get that out of the way and address it before you know, I went to the Miracle on Ice, and I went to that story that we, we went from happy to down, and now we're going to go even a little more um, sad and, and depressing, but not in a real way as that last story, what Panarin was. But we are going into the sad story of what this weekend was for St. John's basketball here. Um, 
whether you're on the campus of St. John's, whether you're watching at home or whatnot. Um, you know, it was just a really, really bad loss this weekend for St. John's. The week was a, a it, it was a Jekyll and Hyde week for St. John's. Um, put it that way. Um, for St. John's basketball, a team who, before Saturday night's result, were on the cusp of an NCAA tournament bid, were right on the bubble, were right in the thick of it. Just had to keep on winning and whatnot. And, you know, they, they you're in the conversation. And all of that just burst like a bubble Saturday night. Like I said, it was a Jekyll and Hyde. We, everything was starting to go well. Despite the the bad loss to Butler um, back on February 9th, you still had optimism about the program, because uh, about the trajectory of the season, because it still didn't affect them too much. They were st- they had just you know that that game had broken a six ga- game winning streak, so you were okay with it. You had a week to rest up, you know, get through, um, you know, get through that disappointment of losing to Butler in overtime, and they did so. I, I spoke last week about how important it was to beat Xavier, um, a team that is uh, right there on the bubble in the net and all of that sort of stuff, and they did so. It was a huge, monumental win for St. John's last Tuesday night. They beat Xavier for the first time in six years. They beat them 93-84 to at Karnasek Arena last Tuesday night. And you repeat that first win, not not in Karnasek Arena, not at the Cintas Center. First win in six years, a, sh- a losing streak of 12 straight matches, finally broken by St. John's. The program was on a high. You got a big win. You're going into the, the next couple days, pr- getting prepared to take on the worst team in the conference, at least by record. Literally by record, taking on the worst team in the conference before you headed into a tough three-game stretch of Villanova, Providence, and Seton Hall to end the regular season. All you had to do was just beat the worst team in the conference at home to keep it going. And St. John's could not do that. They lost on Saturday night, 88-83 to to DePaul. It is an absolute resume record. Um, you know, it just wrecks the NCAA tournament. Uh, resume completely it it just shatters it to pieces bursts your bubble whatever phrase you want to use I mean it's it it just it's like you almost got it's like you got stabbed it's like someone stabbed you in the heart if you're a St. John's fan you know if you're a St. John's fan it just felt like you just stabbed in the heart someone carved in there and just ripped it out just when everything is starting to go right for the program the past five weeks have been some uh, some of the best stretch of basketball and some of the best stretches of results that St. John's had seen in the past decade. And all of that just went away Saturday, at least for the time being. Um, you know, St. John's went from, on some bracketologist lists, from the next four out phase or first four out to um, to completely being off the board. After Saturday night, they just totally went off, fell off the board, and it was a horrible loss. You should be, I mean, yeah, I know that DePaul's win moved them up to a quad three, so it's not as devastating as a quad four loss, but you know, it's still just as bad. If you cannot, it's in what we've seen with St. John's this season, 
if you cannot be able to beat the worst team in the conference at home, you shouldn't, you know, be you, you know you shouldn't be making the tournament. You know, it's it's horrible. It's we've seen this in in years past. St. John's are able to build momentum, or they get a top ten win, or, or they get a big win over a ranked opponent. They always have. It always seems that they have one every year, and then they just hit they just hit a brick wall you know get one or two or a couple of results that are are bad and, and you know season, seasons close to being done we've seen that in the past this is the season done by any stretch i mean not yet completely um it's just it's almost an impossible road for st john's here to be able to get to the ncaa tournament what is more likely is the nit at this point um but before I go into that, you got to give credit to DePaul. Uh, this was, I was calling the game on my good friend George Whitbread on Saturday night from Karnaseka Arena, and we said in the pregame that this was a trap game. It, you know, you just came off of a big win against Xavier. Upcoming uh, on Tuesday night is uh, Villanova, the, the conference leaders and perenni perennial titans of the conference. And you're looking at, you know, the chance at being able to go on the road and sweep them. And St. John's were just caught looking ahead. You know, you think you could sleepwalk through the worst team in the in the conference. And you're like, oh, here we go, Villanova. That's what we're really looking to. And they just got totally caught. Um, you know, the game resembled a lot like the Creighton game uh, in early January where St. John's lost by 18 in Omaha. Julian Champagny had 33 points in 33 minutes in that game. Couldn't get any balanced scoring from anyone else. And thus why they lost by 18. Similar thing on uh, on Saturday. Champagny goes off for 29 points and 7 rebounds. I know he, he shot only 9 for 22 from the field, but 29 points is still 29 points. He went for 29 points, 7 rebounds, and then... Nobody else scored behind him. Vince Cole, I believe, I believe um, Vince Cole had 10. Then I believe Isaiah Moore and Dylan Wasu had 16 and 13, respectively. Um, but by the time they got up to 16 and 13, the game was already at its wit's end. Um, you know, there was just a lack of urgency. The team looked completely out of rhythm the entire time. Um, the DePaul got to give them credit they played incredible defense and I said uh, you know in the pregame to that broadcast that they're not playing for much DePaul no DePaul, DePaul's not stupid they know that their season is pre pretty much over there were 3-1 team coming into the game you know you know as a coach what do you say you you know you can you play well you play maybe you give some minutes to some guys who hadn't gotten some before and you build for next season. You see, you you'll see what you have. You know, you put together some good games and and you know build for next season. And when you're in that position that DePaul are, you can be a real wrecker to everybody else in the conference. And that's what they did Saturday night. They just played aggressive defense. Uh, Julian Champagny they said we just got out toughed, and that's what happened with St. John's. And that should never happen, especially on your home floor. I don't care if there there are our fans or not, but. You know, he, you got to give them credit. The way they were, they were not able to. Uh, DePaul were able to limit St. John's from having those drives 
into the basket and whatnot. Um, Posh only had five points. Um, the jumper was uh, the the jump shots weren't going for St. John's, and that typically does happen over a large sample size. They're not a great shooting team. Depends if you take a certain amount. They we saw against Xavier the threes were falling last Tuesday, um, but they they weren't on on Saturday. You take. 33 three-point attempts in the game is just is just nuts. It, you, that's not a formula to win for a team who, for the last couple of years, has not no, been known as a great three-point shooting team. Do they have Do they have a couple of guys who have the ability? Sure. Um, you know, Champagny has been hitting 40% from the field. Um, Cole can shoot the three. Posh, we've seen the jump shot improve in the last five weeks, or not even improve, just him take it more. Um, Dylan can hit an occasional one here and there. So it's not like there are people who can't hit the three, but over 33 uh, three-point attempts should just not be happening in the game. They settled way too much St. John's in this game. I know DePaul had some great interior defense, did not make it easy for any sort of buckets inside the paint, but um, you know they shouldn't have fell in love with the jump shot that much and settled with it. The, it should have been much it should have been the offense was just way too rushed, way too discombobulated, discombobulated than it was on on Saturday. Uh, it was just from start to finish. It's not like DePaul had settled in at a certain point and clawed back a lead from St. John's. St. John's were practically behind in this game from the tip going forward. The offense just did not look in rhythm from the first possession onward, um, and. You know, it's I, I don't know who you want to blame or whatnot. Everybody on the team, but um, you know that just should not be happening. You shouldn't be caught looking at the Nets game over, especially when you're not a team that you know is safely in or whatnot. Be going into that game, you have to treat every game as you're playing Villanova, and they just got caught sleeping um, on Saturday night. Um, on the other side of things, on the defensive side of things, getting outscored in the paint 58-18 to 18 is absolutely laughable. The interior defense for St. John's that we've seen in the last couple of weeks was just nowhere near. Now, you look back on last week, and maybe, I guess, if you're uh, you know really diving deep into the stats, maybe you unfortunately saw it coming because... They gave up 84 points to Xavier on Tuesday night. And, I mean, 84 is a lot to give up. It's not something that they've been accustomed to giving up in the last couple weeks. They gave up 76 to Butler. They gave up only 59 um, to Villanova. Only 71 to Marquette in the last couple of weeks. 84 was a lot. It was a big jump from what they've seen in the last couple of weeks. And but nobody cared because you still got the win. You you scored 93 points, so nobody cared. The offense was flowing. The offense wasn't flowing, um, you know. Yesterday, uh, uh, I'm sorry, on sun, uh, on Saturday. And uh, defensively, it was just way too easy. It was just way too easy for DePaul. Uh, everybody can say, well, they shot 60 percent from the field. They shot 60 percent from the field. Because when you're getting, when it's so easy to have open lanes and just drive in and hit a layup, you're gonna hit 60%. Any Division One college basketball player, when given that many lanes and that many uh, chances at an easy layup, 
yeah, they're going to shoot 60%. I don't care what Division One uh, team it is. They're going to do so. Uh, it was just way too easy um, for DePaul to penetrate. Um, it was just way too easy for them to get into the paint. And you get a guy like Charlie Moore, very good scorer, um, very underrated because of the team that he is on. Um, you know, he's not, not going to miss that often. He played, got to give him credit, he played incredible, 24 points um, from Charlie Moore. Um, you know, it was just defensively not the performance you're looking for. And looking ahead, if St. John's plays any anything like what they did on Saturday, they are going to be laughed out of the building by Villanova tomorrow night. They have to drastically uh, improve their game tomorrow night if they're to do the unthinkable and sweep Villanova. And it is the unthinkable, but if St. John's are going to try and revive any sort of extremely faint hopes at making the tournament, they have to win against Villanova. So just to project now out the rest of the regular season, in my opinion, if St. John's were to make the NCAA tournament, in order to do so, they would need to win their final three, every single one of their uh, final three regular season games. That's Villanova on the road tomorrow, Providence and Seton Hall at home the following week. There's a question whether they're going to schedule somebody um, in the eight-day layoff that they have between the Villanova and Providence games. I'll get to that in a sec, but you got to win the, the your final three regular season uh, games and then probably get a win in the Big East tournament if you're going to be able to get into the NCAA tournament. But just that first part is hard enough. Villanova has only lost... In the in at the Finneran Pavilion, uh, Villanova has only lost three times in the nearly eight years that they have um, been a part of the realigned um, Big East. So going from 2013 and beyond, they've only lost three times uh, on uh, at the Fin in almost eight years. Uh, you know, it's it's a tough ask to do if you play. Like if St. John's plays like they did on February third, when when they won seventy to fifty nine over the Wildcats, then yeah, they can do so if they play that kind of defense. But after what they showed on on Saturday, can they really have that much of a turnaround in the matter of two three days um, to go from giving up eighty eight points to DePaul, sixty percent from the field for them to? shutting down the number eight team in the country now with the new AP poll out today. It's an extremely tall task. Um, you know, I don't think you can bet on it um, happening. You know, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. You've seen stranger things happen in college basketball, but it is an extremely uh, tough task. Um, and then, you know, Beating Providence and Seton Hall, I guess if you somehow manage to beat Villanova, then Providence and Seton Hall um, you can most certainly beat um, and then get to a Big East tournament and get a Big East tournament win. And then you could say we, we can get into the NCAA tournament, whether it's a at-large bid or a play-in uh, game is uh, completely uh, a different conversation, but... Uh, you know that's the situation. Five weeks of great basketball, um, some of the best basketball that St. John's has seen in the past uh, five, ten years, 
all just evaporated because of that one loss. It's just the, your bubble was burst there. And the worst part was St. John's did get some great help on the bubble on uh, on Saturday. If they would have won that game against DePaul, uh, DePaul, it was a, we said last week for DePaul, the DePaul game was a can't-lose game. Beating DePaul was not going to be a, you know, res- big notch on your resume win, but it was one you you couldn't have lost. But if they would have would have won against DePaul, a they were getting a lot of help on on the rest of the bubble. So by virtue of not losing and everybody else around them losing, they'd move up in the bubble. Indiana lost to Michigan State. Stan. Uh, um, Stanford lost a crazy triple over uh, uh, overtime uh, thriller against Washington State. Um, yeah, had other other teams around there lose as well. So they were getting help. There's that aspect, and then there's just the unbelievable miss opportunity that if they just beat DePaul, the two and eleven team in the conference, the two and uh, two and ten team in conference play. They would St. John's would have been fourth place in the Big East. Fourth place. I think you can count on one hand how many times St. John's has been in the top four of the Big East since uh, the turn of the century, and it was just you know missed opportunity there. Now getting to scheduling another game, a non-conference game in the eight-day layoff that they have between Villanova and Providence. It's it's extremely difficult to try and schedule a game you know we obviously have all the scheduling conflicts covid you know even if some teams do have open slots they might be looking to uh take up those slots with uh, make up conference games it would probably have to be a team that is on the eastern seaboard so that narrows your search of you know where to get a, a non-conference game from and it's got a, it would have to be a team on the eastern seaboard um you know a team that obviously has openings in their schedule to do so and um it would have to be a team in my opinion that's not on the bubble would have to be a good team you know a hot, a uh, quad 1 or something like that it would have to be a good team put it that way um to try and you know get a, a notch on the resume um you know, but that—that's that. I mean, that—that that point is whole moot. Uh, that that whole point is moot if they cannot get a win tomorrow. And it's just tough to ask. It's just a tough ask to beat Villanova. I mean, they're all up for the task, but can they be able to just turn everything around? Um, you know, in the matter of two days, uh, and go from. You know what they did on Saturday to replicating February 3rd? I don't know. It's tough to ask. In terms of the entire season complex, I, I don't... You know, people are starting to put their season recaps already or whatnot or whatever it is. Um, You know, I don't want to hear the whole thing about, oh, St. John's was... You know, they were a year ahead of schedule anyway or whatnot. And that may be true. And, and that is true. But when you're in this situation, if all they had to do to... S- to stay alive in the in the mix, all they had to do to stay in the mix for the NCAA tournament was beat the worst team in the conference at home. And you don't. 
you know, that's just disappointing. I don't want to put that down to, you know, oh, well, we were a year ahead of schedule anyway. I mean, it's true, but, you know, if you're right there in the bubble, uh, uh, you know, if you're right there for trying to get an NCAA tournament um, bid, if you're right there for it, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say, you know, oh well, they're a year ahead of. You go for it. You're not gonna say, oh well, you're ahead of schedule. You go for it, and y you know, you try and get in. Um, you know, the more likely thing is that's what we're going to be telling ourselves that, you know, they have some interesting recruits, um, coming in. Not at what everybody's looking for at a big man, but I think Rafael Pinzon is going to be, um, a great guard for this team. But that's neither here. Th that's for, you know, a couple weeks down the line to talk about. But just a gut-wrenching defeat for St. John's. I think you can hear it in my voice how gut-wrenched we all are for any student, uh, anybody who watches St. John's basketball, how gut-wrenching that was after what was starting to really turn into a magical season. Um, but, you know, because they started 1-5, and five and th those days look so far behind us and then that happened sa Saturday night um, but we'll see if that St. John's can um, you know do the impossible once again and, and and try and beat Villanova I don't know if anybody has swept I don't know if anybody has the stats on it the how many times Villanova has been swept um, in a um, conference regular season in the last 10-15 years I don't I don't think it's that much um, but, you know, it would be something to pull it off for St. John's if they could. Um, so I'll, I'll certainly be watching um, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. to see if they can. And, and I will totally turn my, um, you know, change my demeanor if they do. And we'll say NCAA tournament back on. But um, for now, it's looking like more like NIT. Um, but moving along now from uh, that sad subject... Um, over now to baseball, and for all baseball fans, it's all starting to look uh, sunshines and rainbows. Um, as spring training is now underway, pitchers and catchers reported last week. All players reported um, today, at least on the Yankees' side of things. Um, all the players were starting to come in. Um, for the Yankees, I'm sure everybody enjoyed um, watching Corey Kluber work. I if you would have told me three years ago that Corey Kluber would be on the Yankees, I would have told you you're crazy. I mean, we could have traded for him, but it never it didn't look like the you know things were going to align and Cleveland were going to give him up or whatnot or um, Cashman just may not have been looking at him or whatnot, whatever the hell it was. Um, but um, you know, I, I just wouldn't have thought that. You know, he would be on here now. Um, you know, 34 years old, getting up there as a pitcher. Um, you know, being in the Yankees, he's still a great pitcher in my opinion. The question is health. Can he be able to stay healthy? And if he's able to provide even half of, you know, what he used to produce during his Cy Young days, it's going to be a huge win for uh, for uh, um, the Yankees. You know, that will be your number two guy then. Um, I think the Yankees' rotation, it has the potential to be something great, but potential is potential. I think uh, Italian has 
um, untapped potential that they only saw glimpses of in Pittsburgh um, before his health issues. But again, health issues with Talion as well. Two of two out of your three guys in um, in the rotation being such such red flags on the injury front is um, is worrying. It's a risky, risky bet. Cashman went to the craps tables uh, table this week, uh, this off season, and um, he came up with those two. And sure, you know he's going all in. Cashman, they he'll really, you know, they'll really win big if those guys produce up to their hype and their standard. Or it can go really wrong, and you could see one or uh, a combination of one or both of them during the season on the disabled list for extended periods of time. Um, so, you know, that that's that end. But, you know, so far, so good of what you've seen in Corey Kluber and some of the uh, batting practices and bullpen sessions he was taking. Um, so I like to keep your fingers crossed if you're a Yankees fan that health is not as much of a factor as it was, um, you know, the last couple of years. Although, you know, it's not getting off to a good start as uh, Clark Schmidt um, did have an MRI um, this morning, and he is um, having an injury. Looks like it's not Tommy John re related, but looks like he will be out for um, an extended um, period of time. Um, so that's obviously not good news um, right off uh, off the bat. He's going to miss the first uh, month of the season, as reports are just coming in about that. Um, so um, I think it's some it's some elbow. Uh, it's an elbow strain. I'm just checking my timeline here. Um, it's an elbow strain, so it's not Tommy John related, or at least we hope so. At least that's all we know for now. But, um, you know, as I sit here and saying that, you hope for the Yankees that there's not a lot of injury issues this season already. We have our first one. Um, so hopefully that's not a sign of things to come. Um, you know, that's all you can hope for. Because um, that's the only thing that's been holding the Yankees back the last couple of years is health. Um, so, you know, just go going through some of the rest of the moves that they have done in the last couple of weeks. The Yankees signed Jay Bruce to a minor league deal last week. Also brought back Breck Gardner on a $3 million deal um, over, the uh, over I believe, on thir last Thursday or something like that. Um, they also uh, signed lefty reliever uh, Justin Wilson. Although that signing has still not made official, looks like we may get a roster move or a minor trade coming in order to clear space for him. Um, they invited Derek Dietrich to spring training uh, camp, which is interesting. They're loading up on the lefty bats, the Yankees, and that's one thing uh, I have said on the show in the past that uh, the Yankees do need is a little bit of lefty-righty balance. They are, are an extremely heavy uh, righty lineup. You know, they need some lefty balance in there other than Brett Gardner and Aaron Hicks. Um, the thing about the Brett Gardner signing, um, I think it does mean that Mike Talkman has moved, uh, which is a, sh a shame. I think he's a good um, fielder at worst. Um, he can play center field. Uh, I think that Gardner can still play center field, um, but Talkman covers the field better, in my opinion, um, at, at a know his age compared to Gardner's not not saying Gardner is slow or anything he could still cover the field all right um, but um, I just don't see how it makes sense to have um, you know a roster and have Brett Gardner and 
Mike Talkman both on the same roster. It just doesn't make sense. Both are in very similar roles. Both play very similar positions. Both lefty bats. One's got to go. And with Brett Gardner coming back, I think um, you know, you're going to try and package Mike Talkman in a trade. Maybe you throw in Duhar in there. Maybe you get some uh, compensatory draft picks. Maybe you get a um, reliever from somewhere. You get some value out of it um, and clear some roster space. The one thing um, you know, I do want to say, moving to talking about the Justin Wilson si signing, um, Wilson, a very good uh, veteran uh, reliever in my opinion, has had stops at the Cubs. He last pitched with the Mets for the last two seasons. Um, so he, he's a good lefty uh, reliever in my opinion. I think it gives them... If you're a Yankee fan, uh, honestly, I think they got a pretty solid bullpen. Um, I, I, I'm not too angered at the bullpen. You know, it's not like, oh my god, we missed out on this guy and that guy. Sure, it would have been nice to get Trevor Rosenthal or, um, you know, I would have liked Archie Bradley or, you know, something like that. Um, Liam Hendricks would have been cool, cause, but we're not spending money this year, so... The Yankees aren't spending money this year, so we're staying under 210, or at least trying to. Um, so that was never happening. But I think, honestly, with the budget that they've had, not just the bullpen, but overall, I think Brian Cashman has done a very good job with the budget he's had to work with. Hal, with uh, Hal Steinbrenner basically telling him, "Hey, you got to stay under 210 million. On uh, we got to stay under the luxury tax. We got to reset the tax. Blah 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 blah." Um, I think Cashman's done well under those instructions. He's brought, he's increased the depth in the bullpen. The the bullpen, you, you can't argue with that. The bullpen from last year to this year is deeper. Um, he's brought in a couple of lefty bats that can be impactful. Um, I, Derek Dietrich is very interesting to me. Jay Bruce is like, eh, kind of, don't really overthink it kind of signing not gonna be you know world shattering amazing not gonna be unbelievably horrible um Dietrich is an interesting one um you know so they have added some lefty bats that could make a difference adding a catcher a third catcher um that could push um Higashioka and Sanchez more so Sanchez and Robinson Torinos, who who does have somewhat of a good relationship with Garrett Cole, um, not as the one like uh, Cole had with Maldonado, who Maldonado was practically the personal catcher um, down in Houston um, in those Houston days. Um, but I think uh, you know Torinos, I think will push, especially Gary. I think Higashioka, he will be the second guy. I think this team uh, is still confident in Gary. I, I don't know why. Um, people don't want to hear it from me, but um, I think Sanchez, you know, I think this is his, his year. He's got to prove it. If he can if he can be able to get back to what he was in 2017, then fine, keep him. But I don't want to hear this thing about, um, you know, oh, you, you, he's a generational talent at the catcher's position and what he can do at his absolute best. And I don't want to hear all of that. I, I really don't. We've been waiting and waiting for that. It's like the boy cried wolf. Like, where is this from Gary Sanchez? Um, you know, I get injuries have played a problem. But, you know, you're a team. you you got to look at it ob objectively. Who's going to put me in the best position to win? And Sanchez is just 
we you see it over the last couple of years. He's just very injury prone. Any sort of muscle injuries, he's had a bunch of hammy, uh, uh, you know, get pulled. Um, you know, has had some lower body injuries, all of that sort of stuff um, that have kept him out for extended periods of time. And then when he does come back, you know, he doesn't hit. 2018, he had pulled hamstring, was out for pretty much a month, comes back. Over the course of the entire season, he hit like 160. Uh, I think 180, sorry. He had like 180 in 2018. Um, 2019 was a little better, but still 240, 250. Nothing amazing. Still a lot of strikeouts too. Um, 2020 was, you know, pretty, pretty bad. I mean, I think he hit 120, and he was getting a strikeout on literally one every three plate appearances. He was getting a strikeout. I mean, it was pretty bad. Um, I think he set a record for, you know, a, a guy having 10 home runs, but yet having, um, you know, I, I think it was something in a season where he struck out like 10 times. It was early on in the shortened season, and he struck out 10 times um, and then had 10 home runs or something like that. Um, and it was some crazy stat there, but it, it was a poor 2020. He hit 120. Uh, um, you know, he got bumped in the postseason by Kyle Higashioka, a guy who doesn't normally hit at all. He was able to hit a home run um, in one of the divisional games against Tampa. And I just loved how Brian Cashman in some of the I guess you could say lead-up press conferences to spring training over Zoom was like, Gary knows why he lost a job or blah, 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 you know, something to the effect of that. Just absolutely cracked up over that because it's true. Um, you know, he, he did. You know, you hit, you know, you hit bad. Look at the stats. Like, you, you know you were bad. You lost your spot straight up. Um, but, yeah, that's what I'm going to say with Gary. I think Chir Chirinos will be the third catcher, but I think he will be pushed um, a little bit there. Um, but, um, yeah, for the Yankees, um, their first spring training game is um, uh, February 26th. Um, so thing, baseball is coming back, and we're going to be having fans in Yankee Stadium as well by the time we get to opening day. So that's going to be fun, finally trying to limp our way out of COVID in these next couple of months, hopefully, cross your fingers and knock on wood. Um, but um, I think for the Yankees, I, I think to sum up the off season, I think in terms of what traditional Yankee fans would expect, you had so much money coming off of the payroll, uh, you could and, and how Yan Yankees have typically spent, uh, how the Yankees have typically spent over the years. You, you would have liked them to go out and spend some more. I, I, I personally get frustrated with the whole luxury tax thing. The Dodgers, look at them. They just, you know, you could say shortened season or whatnot. The Dodgers just won the World Series and still went out and signed Trevor Bauer. To an insane amount of money, I understand that. I never would have signed Trevor Bauer for $40 million. It was, That was ludicrous. But they still did so. He's still a, 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 a decent pitcher that in the rotation that the Dodgers are, that is a good fit for him rather than being an ace anywhere else. Not an ace. He's a good two, three guy, and that's what he'll be in the Dodgers rotation. And it just got that much better uh, for the Dodgers, d despite the fact that they just came off of winning the world championship. They recognize that um, 
you know, we're in win-now mode. And when you're in win-now mode, you want to win as much as possible, uh, you know, as much as possible, as much as you can. And um, you have to respect that. I, I think the Yankees, I think this whole luxury tats game and whatnot, and, you know, oh, we got to be worried about the draft picks and the international pool money and all that kind of stuff. I guess that's somewhat important. Am I saying that you have to spend $300 million on payroll for a team? Absolutely not. You spend smart. But to to have this hard cap on yourself under 210 when you have certain necessities to take care of, like the rotation and whatnot and this and that, all of that kind of stuff, I think is just was a little bit in the bullpen too. Like if you didn't have a spending restriction, you would think the Yankees would have gone after Liam Hendricks and Trevor Rosenthal and whether they got those guys, different story, but they at least would have gone after them. I I just think, you know, they could have gone, let's say, 220 or 225. I think, my opinion, that's what they could have gone with. This whole thing about international pool money and, and draft picks is all fun and, and, and good. You know, it's good to keep up your farm and have the international money to boost your farm and have that kind of depth. But you're in win-now mode. You have Garrett Cole for the prime of his career. Don't waste that away. You have a championship team a championship ready team to to just you know to just not maximize the potential for them to win um because of we got to be worried about the long term situation take care of the long term later but like i said before i think Brian Cashman has done well under the circumstances uh of staying under 210 i think it's highly risky at uh, with the uh Kluber and Talion moves um, but it, it could prove, it, it could, it, you know, it could work. If it does work, then, you know, call me a fool. Then, you know, we, we'll, we'll say Brian Cashman is a genius once again. But, you know, we'll see when we get there. Um, the Mets, just to quickly sum them up, they signed to John Walker for a two-year $20 million contract. Um, good move for them. Um, you know, Walker at, at the worst is a solid uh, rotation piece, someone for your back end. Um, I think that's a solid move for the Mets, and you know, Mets fans got a, a look at Lindor and uh, Carrasco in uh, spring training. Got their first looks at them uh, this weekend. Um, you know, I think the Mets are primed f- to contend for the NL East division. It felt like we said that uh, last year and the previous year, but you know, that has happened with the Mets. They do tend to fall off, you know, in the period from, you know, May to uh, to June or whatnot, uh, or late May to June, excuse me. Um, you know, I'll say end of May to middle of June. That's usually the Mets' black hole spot where they fall off. But I really do think with the pieces that they, they have, um, you know, adding Walker to the uh, rotation, having Carrasco behind DeGrom, and then, Thor eventually coming uh, back in the middle of the season. Um, their bullpen maybe could have used one more guy, but I think is pretty um, a much better, is is okay. I, I think their bullpen is better than it had been previously. I, I think for their perspective, I love that the Yankees signed Justin Wilson, um, but I, I think the Mets could have uh, really 
um, done well with uh, retaining him. But I really think, th regardless, the Mets are primed to be able to contend for the NL East division. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's one of the tougher divisions at base in baseball. They have insane rotations, um, you know, in the division with the Braves, um, Nationals to a certain extent, um, and all. Uh, and it's going to be a tough division. But I think the Mets, this can be their year. I don't know if that's going to the World Series or whatnot, but I think they can really contend for the division. I think they can really take that next step, um, you know, in this new first year with uh, Steve Cohen and the ownership. I think the Mets can really make that jump. But we'll see in the next uh, couple of weeks what happens as both teams get underway with uh, spring training. And one last thing we want to touch on before, um, you know, I end it off today. Um, continue my coverage of the Champions League, and um, I made my predictions last last week for some of the ties as the round of 16 got underway. Some of them went well, some of them did not. Um, just to round out the action quickly, um, we had Liverpool beating RB Leipzig 2 to nothing. Um, surpri surprised at the performance of Leipzig. They were at home. Um, you know, they can be a sneaky team that can push somebody like Liverpool. Um, you know, Liverpool had come into it not playing absolutely amazing in the last month in the Premier League. You know, if this was a time to catch Liverpool, this was it. Um, and Leipzig just lost. The two goals that were given up to Liverpool, um, they lost because of stupid errors at, in the back. They lost because of silly errors in the defense. And, you know, Liverpool made them pay. It's not like Liverpool scored amazing goals or whatnot. It was just... Silly, silly mistakes, and it's going to be really, really tough for Leipzig to be able to come back in this tie, in my opinion, going to Anfield in a couple of weeks. Um, over now to uh, Borussia Dortmund beating uh, Sevilla 3-2. to um, This tie, I mean, probably out of what we saw last week, the most thrilling and fun um, matchup um, that we saw out of last week's action. Um you know, Sevilla were up one nothing. then Dortmund rattle off three, Sevilla grab another one. I mean, it's anybody's tie still. Um, Dortmund, you would have liked if you would have not given up that second goal and ga given yourself some breathing room. But um, Sevilla are not out of the woods yet despite losing. They'll go into the second leg confident that they can be able to um, get something on Dortmund and kick them out. Um, you know, get a goal here or two. Uh, I think, um, you know, that tie is very up for grabs. I think Dortmund was a real killer to have let that um, second goal in, preventing, you know, any sort of breathing room that they could have had for the second leg. Also, PSG beat Barcelona in an absolute shocker. 4-1, to one. devastating, devastating loss for Barcelona in the Camp Nou, in their home. They just got absolutely destroyed. It looked like a... Passing of the torch from uh, Lionel Messi to Kylian Mbappe. Um, it, it, Messi, whether he stays at Barcelona or not, Barcelona just, they got a ways to go in terms of competing. They need to rebuild that defense. Um, the the offense is, uh, I think Antoine Griezmann has to go in the summer. I think certain parts of that offense just don't fit with each other. Um, but Barcelona on the defensive end just had, you know, just had a tough, it, it was just, you know, just had a tough time dealing with Mbappe, and they just got absolutely owned um, 
against PSG. What what a dominating performance by um, the the French club. Uh, it, it's gonna be. I think it's going to be next to impossible for Barcelona to make a comeback. It's not you don't get 2017 vibes from this. I don't think you see a 2017 comeback in um the future of Barcelona in a couple weeks. I think you know, I think PSG might add even a couple more goals um when they play the the second leg in Paris in a couple weeks. Um Barcelona, I think, you know, just they got to start focusing on the league. Um, and just go from there. I really do not think you're going to get a three nothing away win in, in Paris in a couple weeks. That would take you um, to the next round. Um, I, I really don't think that's going to happen. It's a crushing def uh, defeat for Barcelona. If you're Barcelona, I think you're lucky that didn't happen. Or that happened with without fans in the stadium. That would have been absolutely horrible. Um, you know, more so than it already was. But like I said, I think it, that game was a real. Uh, maybe a passing of the torch to the new generation with Kylian Mbappe. Um, and then lastly, um, you had Porto shockingly, FC Porto shockingly beating Juventus 2-1. to one. Cristiano Ronaldo's team losing that game. Um, but I think that one goal that was scored by Juventus is, is a big lifeline for them. Going back to Turin, um, you know, that was a big away goal for them to get. So... Um, they're still in this tie. I still think Juventus will come up, uh, will uh, come up with a huge comeback in Turin in a couple weeks' time. This is Cristiano Ronaldo. I know this is not Juventus's best year. You just look at what they're doing in the Serie A uh, standings uh, domestically this season. It's not really been their best year, but Cristiano Ronaldo has never lost in the round of 16 of the Champions League. I don't think he's about to start now. They came back once before from 2 nothing down in the second leg to Atletico Madrid um, a like a year and a half ago. Um, it's not going to happen. It, it's not it, – um, that – that. Uh, I, I, I don't think uh, Cristiano I, – I mean, it's the comeback is going to happen again. I don't think it's going to happen that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's team is going to lose this, um, this tie. I think they'll have a resounding win in Turin in, in a couple weeks' time and move along. That's why I think they're in, in that tie. But interesting first uh, week of games, especially that PSG Barca result was just absolutely eye-opening. But a couple more games coming this uh, this week as Atletico Madrid and Chelsea, uh, Lazio and Bayern, Atalanta and Real Madrid, and Borussia Mönchengladbach and Manchester City will all get their um, two-legged ties started um, starting tomorrow um, at 3 p.m. So um, I'll have my recap on that next week. Um, but um, for now, this is going to do it for another edition of the Mike Sports Roundup. So take care and have a good week, everybody.